Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. My name is Noble. And as always, I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we're just going to have a quick pod. Uh, we kind of talked about a lot of this stuff with the interview with Jason Campbell. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back uh, and you can just scroll down and it'll be, it'll be the most recent one after this one. Uh, but we, so we talked about a lot of different things in that, but mainly the Penn State game is what everybody's looking toward. Everyone's had this game marked on their calendar for ever since this game was scheduled years ago. This has been a big one. It's been announced. It's going to be college game day. It's going to be a whiteout in Beaver Stadium. It's going to be a wild atmosphere. The odds, opening odds dropped today. This is being filmed Sunday at around 8 o'clock, so this is definitely subject to change. Uh, Penn State is favored by 6.5 with an over-under of 52.5. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. But before we get into kind of talking about the logistics of how that Penn State matchup is going to work out, and how all that will go down on Saturday. We just kind of want to just bring up the Auburn-Alabama State game that happened last Saturday. Auburn won with a resounding margin of 62-0. to zero. Uh, There were a couple struggles at the beginning of the game with catching the ball, with penalties, with uh, a sequence in the red zone. Wheeler, what were kind of your initial thoughts in the first half uh, before just kind of when, when it was halftime, what were you thinking – were you really concerned about the drops? Were you really concerned about the penalties? Were you really concerned? What What were you really thinking, uh, keeping it in perspective, that it was a week two game at 11 a.m.? I think the biggest concern for me was the drops. Um, watching the game, you could see schematically, I felt like they came out with a good plan. Uh, I didn't feel like there was a lack of motivation to play the game. Uh, they didn't look unprepared or anything like that. They just kept having things shoot them in the foot. Um, couple of penalties. Uh, some of them, obviously, I mean, were true penalties that there was no doubt about. Um, a lot of holding calls. I thought some of those holding calls were, you know, a little ticky-tack, especially for the game. Um, I think when you've got an O-line that is so much bigger than a D-line, um, it's kind of hard to call holding because they may just be dominating them that much. Um, so yeah, I thought the, the holdings really didn't concern me. Uh, the drops were very concerning in my opinion. Uh, that was a question we had going into the season. Uh, it was kind of one of the highlights that we had coming out of the Akron game was that, uh, the receivers were able to catch the ball, uh, without, you know, having a lot of mistakes. I thought, uh, the number four for Alabama state, that DB that was covering Shedrick Jackson did a really good job. Uh, I don't know that much about Alabama State football, so I don't know. I mean, you never know because sometimes these guys at these smaller schools are legit football players that are going to go play in the NFL. Um, 
And sometimes, you know, you may just be having a bad game. Uh, Bo Nix had a great game, I thought. He, I mean, he was laying dimes. His receivers weren't catching it. I thought for the most part, uh, he remained pretty calm. He did have his, a little bit of a meltdown after the uh, little goal line situation. But I do think it was better than what we've seen previously from when Bo Nix has, you know, quote unquote, melted down. Um, and, you know, people, they got mad at him. And I, I struggle to get mad at him for it because that's just who he is. Like at this point, that's who he is. He's not going to be the calm, cool, collected guy. Um, he's not Jason Campbell. You know, he's got a little bit more fire under him. Uh, and that's okay. As long as he's able to, I mean, like in this game, he didn't go over and yell at the coach. In fact, I mean, the coach kind of hopped on him uh, and he went and he took a knee. And if you need to take a knee um, and cool off before you go and address the coaches and address the team, I think that's much better than trying to go right into it and not being coachable. So overall, I thought it was good. Um, I was not concerned in the first half necessarily that we were going to lose the game. Uh, It was just a little frustrating to see the sloppiness uh, play out. Yeah, I totally agree, and I definitely agree with what you said with seeing Bo Nix take that knee before he went to the, you know, and it was just kind of like, it just showed how he has developed. You know, you're obviously going to be able to see the development from a pure football perspective, like, oh, like, look at his footwork, look at his accuracy, look at his power, all that. But seeing that is kind of like how he's matured as a quarterback from his sophomore to his junior year. Because we saw all the time, we saw him screaming. He would be screaming at Seth. He would scream at uh, Chad Morris. He would scream at Gus Malzahn. Like, that was just who he was. And I think that he has kind of changed that a little bit. And I think part of it is because, obviously, I think Harson runs his program a lot differently. But it's definitely good to see, if nothing else, see a change. And you can see that Bo Nix is not just set in his ways. You know, everyone thinks that he's going to be the same guy everywhere. He's going to change. He's going to be open to change. And if he thinks it's, you know, if it's a good change, he'll be open to changing it. So I definitely, uh, I definitely felt good about that. Uh, The receivers, they just, I mean, I think we just got a little spoiled because in the first game, Kobe Hudson had one drop. Other than that, the receivers played a near phenomenal game. Bo Nix was hitting them. It was all going well. And then we were kind of like, you know, going into that game, we would have expected a few drops because we were like, you know, we had all been thinking no experience, whatever. And then this game comes in and we see like six or seven drops. And we're like, oh, gosh, the receivers are terrible. We're going to lose against Penn State because we can't catch the ball. This was a lot better that we had some drops in this game because they can have the emphasis on that. And it's just an 11 a.m. game, you're never going to look crisp. I mean, it's just that's just how it is. I mean, even Alabama, like Alabama is the most well run college football program ever. I mean, really, they are. I mean, we just have to admit that. They've had games in years that they won the national championship. I think the year that they won the national championship, one of those years, they went into halftime like tied with the Citadel or like up three. I mean, it was it was a close game, and they ended up winning big, just like Auburn did. Sometimes you're going to come out sloppy, but it, tr- it truly is the expression. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. As long as you finish the game, that's, that's what is the most important. But if you I look definitely, at – I think it was also frustrating – uh, at least for me, on the, the part where Bo Nix got angry was it felt like it was almost on him because he was standing there telling the crowd to get quiet instead of just snapping the ball and playing the game. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
not to sound like that old dude, but like it's going to be really loud next weekend. Like he's, they're going to have to go silent count. And I know obviously you're not prepared to go silent count for the Alabama state game in your own end zone, but it was, I mean, it wasn't that loud in the stadium that they couldn't hear the count. I mean, the stadium wasn't even full and it wasn't like it was all bearing down on him. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, again, it's like you said about the being crisp when you're going in to play the Alabama state game, it, it almost, I think, for the players, did not seem like a game. Well, I mean, we spoke with Jason about that last week where they do. They go into scrimmage mode where they say, all right, you know, going into this game, we want to work this. You know, we want to work this route, this route, this route. And I think sometimes you lose that mentality of this is a game. I just got to do it, you know. Um, and it, that it seemed almost like a practice situation where you're frustrated and you just say, you know, whatever, we'll try this rep again. And it's like, well. You don't get to try this rep again. It, it was fourth and one. Um, but, yeah, other than that, receivers, uh, pretty concerning, honestly. Pretty concerning going into the Penn State game. I definitely think early in the Penn State game, you're going to see a loaded box. Because, um, I mean, that's the only thing that Auburn's been able to show consistently really solid at. Um, I hope that Auburn, you know, opens up with a big play-action play over the top. I think that would be a great way to kind of silence the crowd. Um, but they're definitely, I mean, they're going to load the box. They'll probably play some man coverage because, I mean, the receivers didn't look that open this week either compared to the Akron game. I mean, they weren't getting the same separation that they were getting in the Akron game. And if you can't get separation in one-on-one coverage and then when you do get separation, you drop the ball, I mean, that's a dream for the other team. Yeah, exactly. And building on that, I do think, you know, specifically you look at Shedrick Jackson, and, you know, this is kind of something that I wanted to say, you know, every every quarterback's going to have his his go-to guy, you know, and it's going to be like the, the guy that he's going to look for when he's in a bind. And I, I think that Shedrick Jackson has kind of, in these first two games, I think he's going to be that guy. Uh, you can make the argument whether Demetrius Robertson or Shedrick will have a better stat line or wh- who's going to technically look better uh, at the end of the season. But I think that Shedrick's going to be the kind of guy where it's like if Bo needs somebody that he knows he can find, where he knows what he's thinking, because, you know, they've been, I mean, they've been on the same team for what, three years? And so yeah. it's going to be, that's going to be his guy. So I think that was just kind of interesting, especially to see that, you know, he went for him really, really early, and then he kind of started spreading it out a little bit. But I do think Demetrius Robertson played the best out of all the receivers. Uh, I thought that he got a little – he got more separation consistently than everybody else, found the end zone a lot. That was good to see. Uh, And also, you're going to have to, you know, take into consideration Javaris Johnson, who is a starting wide receiver, was not playing. And so the the vibe of the wide receiver room was a little different. And so, obviously – that's not an excuse for the drops, but it can be somewhat of an excuse for the separation because you're not getting the same look that you expected to get from the defense. For sure. I was, we didn't seem to target the tight end as much this week. Um, I don't know if that was by play design or if that was just, you know, who was getting open. Um, I don't know. This just seemed like kind of a weird game. It definitely, they seemed prepared, but it really did feel like we're prepping for Penn State. You know, it, it did not feel like the full attention had been given to this week where it was like, it just seemed like they were running the base offense. They said, we're better athletes. We're going to dominate. And they did. And that's always a good thing. That That's the thing about it is 
it's one thing if you say that and you win 24 to three. It's another thing when you're able to go out and dismantle a team 62 to zero um, and still prepare for another week. And I think that's what's exciting about this staff. Exactly. And I, I completely agree. If you can, if you can, if you can win a game by this many points, really, if you can win a game by 40 points and not even really focus on that team at all, I think that's, that's, a win that you need to pursue, you know, like if they know that they can do that, there's no reason for them to look at Alabama state and every school does this. I mean, that's the thing that you're going to look ahead, but the thing is it's good that you can just still get the win, win convincingly and still be focused a lot. Cause if you look at Penn state, I mean, they won, well, I think, I think it was 41 to 13 against ball state. And I mean, ball state isn't that good. Penn state is probably better than the margin indicated, Penn State's looking at Auburn, too. They know they're going to win that Ball State game. So both teams are looking ahead. But if you look, both teams played horrible teams. Auburn played, you know, if you look at the the stat sheet, it looked like a flawless game. Penn State had a little bit more struggles with scoring and just kind of putting that game away. So I'm just saying it's just – it's good to see your team just kind of get get it done without really focusing on it. But with that kind of – that kind of said – what were your thoughts? And this is this is something you know. Usually we don't usually we don't go too much opinion here. Just like nothing that's just like you know straight opinion. I just wanted to hear your thoughts because personally, from what I've seen in the first two weeks, there is no reason for Sean Shivers to still be the second running back off the bench on this team. I think that you can. I think that Sean Shivers still has the ability to catch out of the backfield. I think I love Sean Shivers. Great leader on and off the field. Dude works hard. He embodies Auburn really well. I, I love the I love the player, but from what I've seen, Jarquez Hunter is just night and day better than him. And yes, it's been Akron and Alabama State, but Sean Shivers has never done this against the the Akrons and the Alabama States of previous years. I mean, we've seen these guys. You've seen the the quote unquote the A day hero. You've seen the guy that comes in against the scrubs and looks great. Whatever. Jarquez Hunter isn't like that. Jarquez Hunter is a guy that you watch him play and there can be nothing there and he will make it happen. And he looks so much more like Tank than a guy like Sean Shivers does. Like Sean Shivers, when he comes in, looks more like the third string than he does the starter. Whereas Jarquez looks a lot like a starting running back in the SEC. So personally, I think it needs to be a one-two Tank, Jarquez, Punch, I think that needs to be our running back group going forward with Sean Shivers being the third guy, still getting touches, still getting, you know, reps, but just not nearly as many as Hunter and definitely not as many as Tank. So what are your thoughts about the uh, running back situation? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, like you said, I mean, Sean Shivers has given his all to Auburn. He's a talented back. Um, and I mean, I thought going into the season that he was clearly the number two back. Uh, but I mean, it's just shown on the field that Jacquez, I mean, he's just, he looks like you said, he looks like a number one SEC tailback and Sean looks like a number two SEC tailback. So that doesn't mean that he's bad, you know, but if you have two guys that run like a number one, then why would you not run both of them? You know, uh, with, it's similar to back in 2003, um, where Auburn had, uh, Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams, both NFL players, and then Brandon Jacobs, who I think is an NFL Hall of Famer or close to it. Really solid NFL running back. 
and Brandon transferred out because he wasn't getting touches. And that wasn't saying that he wasn't good. He just wasn't as good as Ronnie and Cadillac, who both were first-round picks. I think Brandon ended up going in a mid-round. So that's the thing. It's not an indictment on Sean Shiver's ability as a running back um, to say that he's the third guy. It's really just a credit to the recruiting that's happened um, in the Auburn running back room right now. I still think he'll get his touches. Uh, Jacquez showed great hands, especially there was that one, I think it was like a little wheel route um, where he caught it over his shoulder and was able to drag his foot inbounds. Um, that was a super impressive catch to make, uh, especially for a running back coming out because that was at, at a time in the game where I feel like the receivers had really not picked up their game yet. You know, the receivers weren't catching. We weren't able to get to the tight end. We had not really targeted the tight end yet have an open wheel route, and we're able to complete that. And I feel like that was one of the plays that changed the game. Obviously, the block field goal was probably the biggest game changer. Um, and then his run, I mean, we're talking about the the entirety of the game. We're not just saying, oh, he had a, you know, a school record for the longest run where he makes one cut and he's gone, you know. But just the entirety of his games, he's been a really solid back. Um, the thing that I don't know, and this is what makes me hesitant to say that he needs to necessarily be the number two guy going into an environment like Penn State, is how is his pass blocking? Because there have not been a lot of situations where Auburn has had to keep a running back in the backfield to pass block. And I don't know how much of Harson's offense is keeping running backs in the backfield to pass block. Now that he has tight ends, he seems to do more of a set where the tight end stays in, doesn't go out on a route, and they're blocking, and you have your running back kind of go out as a uh, safety valve. So maybe you have packages where he doesn't have to run block or doesn't have to pass block as much. Um, or maybe he's a really good pass blocker, and we just haven't seen it because of the competition that they're playing. Um, that's something, that obviously, that the coaches have seen, uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see on Saturday. I'm really excited to finally play. I mean, obviously, I'm excited about the whiteout and it being a big-time matchup, but just as a normal season, it's almost like you have two season openers. You, you have the first game of the season, and then you have the first game against a real opponent where you really get to see, you know, are we halfway decent? I mean, it, win or lose, were we competitive with another solid Power 5 team? Uh, so, yeah, it'll be a good time. Uh, I think Sean will definitely get to play, assuming he's able to play. I mean, we don't know when he – I mean, we technically don't know that he's in COVID protocols, but he just but he's all of a sudden protocols. goes out for a medical issue and you don't see any tweets from players like prayers up for, for Sean yeah. or anything. I mean, that just screams to me, COVID. He may be asymptomatic because, I mean, he hasn't had – he hasn't said anything. He may be fine to play on Saturday. But again, he might, you know, still not be feeling 100%. And I don't think that Sean Shivers at 70% because of COVID um, is better than Jacquez Hunter. Yeah, and I just – I definitely agree with you with the, with the pass blocking thing. But, you know, Gus Malzahn obviously was very – had a huge emphasis that if you did not block well, you didn't play. And that's why we saw guys like Malik Miller play – all the time because he was a really good pass blocker and he could come in and he could hold his own. Uh, Booby could block. I mean, that was a thing that it was like, if you could block, you were going to find a way on the field. So obviously we'll have to wait and see what Harson is thinking with that. But, but I just think that if you look at our two running backs, 
you've got Tank, who is, what I mean, definitely one of the best backs in the SEC. I saw someone say that he might be losing his job. That's absolutely absurd. Tank is, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Jorquez is. That's it doesn't matter it. how good. Whoever he said that, your comment ain't it. You need to put down the Bud Light. Exactly. I mean, it's just like Tank is just a different level. Uh, and he's been like that his whole career. But if you look at him, he is much more of a prototypical SEC back. You know, he was highly rated coming out of high school. Everyone knew he was going to be good. He was highly sought out. Comes to an SEC school, absolute baller, has a pro career. Jarquez is much more like – so, like, Tank is much more of a Auburn running back type guy. You know, he's like a on Johnson. He's like a Trey Mason. He's like a Michael Dyer. You look at Jarquez, Jarquez is much more of a Brian Harson guy. You know, he was very underrated. Not, not many big-time programs were looking at him. The only school that was really noteworthy that was looking at him was uh, Mississippi State because he played in Mississippi. Jarquez would not touch – I mean, he, he, would, he would become a wide receiver in that Mike Leach offense because they don't run the ball. So he was a guy that it was like big-time schools didn't – they didn't know. They didn't want – they didn't want him. They didn't offer him all that. Harson found him because he reminded him of guys that Harson has had great success with, the Doug Martins of the world, the Jay Ajayis, the Antonio Madisons, those kind of guys that played for Harson and made the NFL, similar size and build and speed guys like Jarquez. So I definitely think that it's, it's interesting because it's almost like you can see the two eras coming together as you can see a guy that we're used to seeing and we're used to dominating in that way in tank. And then you've got a new guy who's the diamond in the rough, the guy that plays that Harson style of football that we've looked at, that we've talked about, that we've been thinking about all off season. So I just think personally, it's really cool just to see just kind of those two worlds blend together in the same running back room this early in uh, Harson's era. So, And it gives me a lot more confidence. You know, we talked preseason, about if Tank goes down, you know, we aren't making a bowl game. Uh, and still, I mean, if Tank goes down, our season is definitely going to be a lot different than if he's healthy. Um, but it does give me confidence that the season's not off or not if he goes down. Um, and I don't know about you. I hold my breath every time that man runs because especially now, and I don't know if this is going to be the same I imagine it will be based off of what he was doing to SEC teams last year. They were trying to tackle him high, but I feel like him more than anybody I can really remember in Auburn, you know, running back history that I've seen play in person. I mean, obviously I haven't memorized Bo Jackson's highlights and I was, you know, seven years old when Cornell was running, but I feel like guys just take it, go at his knees all the time. Um, and I'm not convinced that he didn't get a little banged up this weekend. And that's why, you know, halfway through the second quarter, uh, he was not really getting reps. Game wasn't going well. So I think Carson said, all right, well, if you're good to go, go ahead and get back out there. Um, also something we haven't talked about that was really important in my opinion was Brandon Council being able to come back out. Yeah. Um, he played in the second half. He may have played a touch in the second quarter too after his injury. Um, so that was good to see. Because if he's able to come back out after, you know, on that day, then he'll definitely be good for Penn State because that is, that is not something you want. You do not want uh, a new offensive lineman starting for you in an environment like that because it's going to be absolutely insane up there. Yeah, for sure. And I do agree with what you were saying with Tank. I, I think that Tank's, Tank was limping a little bit on the sidelines, and when Jarquez kind of played that whole drive – 
Tank just kind of just kind of limped around, but I think it was the kind of situation that if he was playing in the Penn State or if he was playing in a big time environment, he would have kept playing. And it's not it's not something that it was like oh they had to hold him out because of injury. It was just like well we've got this game one. Jarquez is doing really well. There's just no reason to switch him out. Uh, but if it was a big game, we really needed Tank. Tank would have been on that field. Uh, and uh, just kind of just kind of to build just kind of this this last thing uh, before we move on with TJ Finley, you know, obviously went two of two for 66 yards and a touchdown. That was a much better performance than he had against Akron. And we we've we've kind of seen we've we've seen we've heard about TJ Finley and how he'll look uh, when he's not pressured. I just think that it was a, a little reassuring that if Bo or if Tank go down, I'm not stressing over a game like Mississippi State or a game like South Carolina. Like, I think we'll win those games even if we're missing our starting quarterback or our starting running back. Now, before Saturday, I would have said, I still think we can beat Arkansas. But, you know, Arkansas kind of looked like it was, you know, way back in the day against Texas this weekend. So they might be more of a threat in the West than we thought they were. But, yeah, I definitely think that with injuries, there will not be one injury that will just derail this team like it was last year. No. And, I mean, Arkansas, they looked really good on Saturday. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily that much better than last year because I think last year they were playing a really tough schedule and they were competing really well. Um, And I I just – I'm not really high on Texas. I'm not really high on what Sark is uh, doing over there. The narrative is always, you know, Texas is back or whatever, and it's a meme. But, like, they haven't been back since 2009. Like, we're going on 12 years now without them, quote, being back. So, like, I don't know. It's still in week one and two, maybe even into week three, you've got teams that are ranked on logos. You know, I mean, Ohio State's talent, they probably should not be – they shouldn't have been ranked third in the country. Um, Oklahoma, it's ridiculous that they almost get beat by Tulane. They beat Tulane by five points, and they stay where they are ranked, you know, up at, like, fourth or whatever. The rankings at this point in the season are not indicative of who is playing well right now. Um, Texas is ranked, you know, super high up there. And it's the trendy pick on game day and on every college football show that you listen to. Oh, Texas may lose to Louisiana Lafayette. Okay, everybody's like, ooh, you know, sexy upset. Then nobody picks them to get beat by Arkansas, and everybody they get beat by Arkansas, and everybody's all surprised. And I'm like, literally last week, y'all thought that they were going to get beat by the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. This is an SEC team. Like, I know they're not a great SEC team, but Louisiana – why do you think Louisiana is going to go into their place and beat them? And then there's absolutely no shot that Arkansas is going to do it with a stripe the stadium night game. No. That, see, that's what frustrates me about college football is people just, they, they pick by the logo and they were like, oh, Arkansas has a terrible logo, Texas, great logo, whatever. I'm going to pick Texas. And it's like, they didn't even look at the teams. Arkansas had a pretty good week last week. I mean, they didn't look amazing in their first game. But they didn't do anything to look trash. Texas, they only won by a couple touchdowns. But since everybody picked them to get upset, everybody was like, oh, Texas is back. It was ridiculous. So I'm not quite ready to say Arkansas is a contender for the SEC West, but they're definitely going to be a competitive team. I think in the SEC West, you only have one team that is absolutely awful, and that's Mississippi State. 
Mississippi State is a terrible football team. And then I think depending on the week, LSU might not be too far behind them. Uh, we'll have to wait until they play another real team, though. Yeah, I mean, I think LSU is going to have the thing where they could lose. I mean, they can have a dogfight with Mississippi State. They can have a dogfight against us. They can have a dogfight against Texas A&M. I can see them winning or losing any game that they have in the SEC West with the exception of Alabama. That's just how they are. Super talented team. They just aren't putting it together. That's just what do you think is. about A&M? Because I feel like I've almost gotten into this logo thing of it's Jimbo and they ought to be good, but they have shown nothing this year that indicates that they're a good football team. I personally think that, and this is this is a bit of a hot take, and I well, so I've never been, I have not been high on Texas A&M this whole offseason. I thought they were extremely overrated. I think Spiller's overrated. I think that the reason that he was so good last year is because all five of his offensive linemen were absolute monsters really good it's under I mean people underrate the fact like Kellen Mond they're like oh he wasn't that good it's like well yeah he started for four years you know like that means something like it's not easy to replace that guy it's not easy to replace that offensive line that defense wasn't that good I'm I was never been high on Texas A&M and I think Jimbo Fisher is one of the most overrated coaches ever I think that he if you look at his resume I think he has severely underperformed with really every team he has, even that 2013 team. And yes, I know that you're going to say like they won the national championship, that team, there is no reason on earth for that, for that team to have had any close games. All 22 of the people that started on that football team started in the NFL at one point in their career. There were absolute monsters on that team they had to come from behind in what like four or five games that year that game against Auburn like yes we love the 2013 team it was great like it was a it was a cool thing you know it was it was it was sexy it was what it was new all that we should not have even hung with them at any point in that game we should have gotten ran off the field if you look at the talent especially now if you look at those, like, you're going to read through that Florida State roster, you're going to recognize most of the names on there. You're going to read through that Auburn roster, and you're like, these guys, some of the best ones on that team jump from practice squad to practice squad or maybe made, like, special teams, like, whatever. The impact players on that team didn't pan out in the NFL. That was just – there was no reason for that game and that season to be as close for Florida State as it was. They won that national championship because of talent. They did not win it because of Jimbo. And so I think that people overrate that, and that's how Jimbo got that fat 10-year, $100 million contract at A&M. That's why they haven't really won anything at, a at A&M because I don't think he's that good. The best they've had was last year where they almost made the playoffs, but if Jacoby McClain catches that interception instead of it going through his fingers, we win that game, and Gus Malzahn is still our coach. Like, that game – like, th they just weren't that good. And so, I personally am not high on Texas A&M. They haven't looked good in the first two weeks. I just – I'm not high on them. I think that they are the – I think you can make the argument that they are the third or fourth best team in the SEC West. No, I agree. It's so funny that you mentioned that uh, 2013 game because if somebody is looking for an interesting thing to read while you're at work and uh, you don't have anything to do, I did this last week when I was supposed to be studying for a test. Pulled up this AL.com article of the 2013 2 deep for Auburn. And let me tell you, it looks like an all-Canadian team. I mean, this looks like 
the the what are they the rough riders and the ottawa i don't even know i don't know i didn't watch canadian football this year this i mean this team was primed for a 120 yard field for five downs whatever their rules are all right here we go just a quick rundown nick marshall canadian league trey mason well that that's just an unfortunate story cameron artist Payne. cameron artist Payne. Practice squad, kind of a starter. That's okay. That's pretty good. Okay. He was, yeah, he uh, was, but the thing was, he was the backup running back on that team. Yeah. Backup running back. He didn't play. Uh, Jay Prosh made a nice, a nice career. He was one of the last, uh, fullbacks to ever play in the NFL before the H back, somebody that actually had to catch the ball, uh, was a position. All right. Receiver, Ricardo Lewis. All right. He, he did make the NFL for a little while, some practice squads. But that's what we're saying. Not just like a solid NFL starter. Jalen Denson, Brandon Fulce, Trevon Reed. Yeah, Mr. Hype video. Love Trevon. He loves Auburn. He's on the staff now. Not an NFL guy. Canadian. Quan Bray. Well, he's not in the Canadian League. He's in the Penitentiary League. He was in the CFL before he and uh, Greg Robinson, who ended up being an NFL bus, got caught with, I believe it was 150 pounds of weed uh, trying to sneak into Mexico. So, The most yeah. intelligent person on the team, clearly, sneaking weed into Mexico. <laughs> Somebody needs to give that man a dyslexia test. You go the other way. Anyway, all right, moving on. Next, we got Sammy Coates couple years with the Pittsburgh Steelers and then oh Canada Mr. Canada I'm telling you this this could legit be the all Canadian team all right Greg Robinson as we said NFL bus to uh Mexican drug dealer Alex Kozan unfortunate back injury probably would have been an NFL player never made it Reese Dismukes well, Reese Dismukes and I are doing the same thing. We both have podcasts about college sports. Didn't make it in the NFL. Chad Slade. Did he make it in the NFL? I think for a little while. So solid. Patrick Miller. Didn't make it. Defensive end. Craig Sanders. No shot. Angelo Blackson. I got to be completely honest. Oh, he did make the NFL. Noble's telling me yes. He did, yeah. Uh, Angelo Blackson has been a guy that has been in the NFL for a like. He, I mean, he's he's been in the NFL, but he has never really gotten. He's never really broken the rotation, but he's never really fallen all the way out of it. So he's a guy. I think he. I, I want to say he's still with the Texans, um, but he he didn't. I don't know. I, I've watched a couple games and seen him. I know he's still on the team, but he's not not an impact player by any means. Well, Angelo, if you listen to the pod and you want to call me out for not knowing you were in the NFL, we'd love to have you as a guest. All right, we're almost done with this team. Here we go. Jeff Whitaker, great Auburn man. Love Jeff. Love what he did for Auburn. Not an NFL guy. Maybe a CFL guy. Who knows? Ladarius Owens, another great Auburn guy. Not an NFL guy. Everybody's favorite haircut, Jake Holland, the surest tackler Auburn's ever had. RIP. Can we just take a linebacker appreciation moment right now that Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean are the starting linebackers and that Jake Holland 
is not the starting linebacker. Yes, we can. Casanova McKenzie. I believe that's another Canadian player, but I could be wrong. I think he was a practice squad, kind of bounced around the league for a little while. Really hard hitter. Loved him when he was at Auburn. One of the all-time great names. Justin Garrett. Uh, I believe he played for the Patriots as a special teamer for a little while. Um, I think he kind of bounced around the league, but he was a really he was. I know that he was pretty good at special teams. Uh, Chris Davis, obviously, kick six. Not the best cornerback in the world. Jonathan Mincy, NFL, for a few years at least. We'll give him NFL. All right, so maybe this team wasn't as bad as we thought. Josh Holsey. Mm, we're not going to count that one for NFL. And then we have Jermaine Whitehead. If he made the NFL, neither Noble nor I can remember. So yeah, I, I want I, I remember he he played for the Browns. Oh no, Jermaine White he uh he uh he ended up getting he ended up getting cut. He was the starting safety, and then he got cut for uh, comments he made on Twitter. I think he threatened to kill somebody. Oh, he did. Yeah. No, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's one. Well, Jermaine. It. Do not hurt me because I talked trash about you like the guy on Twitter did. Just like I said last time, Jermaine, if you are listening, I would love to hear your take on how you did not get banned off of Twitter for threatening to kill somebody back when Twitter was all right. All right, and then we're going to finish out the starting lineup with Cody Parkey. Doink. Doink. Hey, Cody Parkey is still still in the NFL. I will say that Auburn legend. I was always a fan of Cody Parkey. Auburn legend, great kicker, absolutely trash game in the national championship. I'm watching the yeah. Chicago Bears right now on Sunday Night Football, and I promise you that every single person watching this game that's a Bears fan knows that Cody Parkey is not their favorite NFL player. Definitely, Stephen not. Clark. Nah. But great at Auburn. Stephen Clark did not make it in the NFL, but that guy was one of the best punters I can remember watching. I always, always was a fan of Stephen Clark. Totally agree. Always a fan of Stephen. Unfortunately, he did not make the NFL. So, like we said, I mean, look, they talent-wise, that Auburn team did not have the talent. Um, and Jimbo was, you know, a blown hamstring away from losing to that team. So, yeah, and just yeah, I mean, real real quick, we're, I'm just going to read through uh, this list of who they were playing. But you also, so this is not us saying that like, this is not us saying like, oh, like Auburn didn't have any good players. Like you know, like th- they were good college players. Some of those guys were really good, and it just didn't pan out in the NFL. And sometimes that's just how it works. But some of those guys we knew weren't that good. Like when we were watching, like no one thought Chris Davis was a lockdown corner. I mean, no, we just didn't. Like, he, he was a return guy. He was a solid guy. But it was like no one thought he was that – like, no one thought he was insane. Jonathan Jones, he was pretty good, had a good NFL career. But it was like – he was good, but he wasn't great, you know. And there, there weren't really players that you watched on that team where you were like, that guy is great, that ended up, you know, having, having an NFL career. They were going up against Jameis Winston. We know who he is. Devontae Freeman made some Pro Bowls. James Wilder Jr. made the NFL. Rashad Green, Kelvin Benjamin, those guys made it. You've got Nick O'Leary, Cameron Irving, Brian Stewart, Roberto Aguayo, all NFL guys. 
you've got Christian Jones, Telvin Smith, Matthew Thomas, Carlos Williams, Jalen Ramsey, Terrence Brooks, LaMarcus Joyner. Like, the list just goes on and on. And I didn't even I – mean, I, I named half of the guys. Like, all those guys made the NFL, and all those guys had great careers. So, I'm just saying – that this is just a very long, drawn-out point of me just saying that I think Jimbo Fisher is overrated. But you can also make the, make the argument just kind of like, just because you have talent doesn't mean that it's all going to translate, you know? You can have a really talented team, and you can still underperform. And I think that that's a mindset that you need to have, that no matter who you've got, you can always underperform. And I think that's a good mentality to come into this Penn State game where we have more playmakers than them, that those guys can still underperform and we can still run into some problems uh, against these guys. You look at the, you look at the teams, the, the makeup of the teams is very similar. They want to run the ball. They have a quarterback that has been inconsistent at times, but has been the starter for a couple of years. Uh, Penn State definitely has the advantage of the offensive line. They've proven that a little bit. Auburn has a better running back room. I think the one and two deep, you look at it, Auburn has the advantage there. Uh, And then Penn State's going to have the advantage in the receivers, especially in Jahan Dotson. That guy was an absolute monster against Wisconsin. He is the biggest guy that we have got to stop if we want to win this football game. Uh, But with Wheeler, what are kind of your thoughts going into this game what do you think Auburn's biggest priority on offense and defense needs to be going into this big-time matchup? I think that this matchup really plays into how Auburn's been playing defense the past couple of weeks where I don't think they've been trying to necessarily play lockdown press man coverage. And it's frustrated a few fans that, you know, teams are getting some passing yards on us, but they're not scoring. Basically, what Auburn's been doing the past couple of weeks – is sitting back a little bit and just making tackles, you know, giving them the really short pass and then coming up and making a stop. Um, And that's good defense because a lot of teams are not disciplined enough to just drive it down your throat 80 yards multiple times a game, all game long. So if you just don't give up the big play, you make sound assignments in the running game, sound defensive tackling, um, you're going to be okay. And I think that's kind of what we saw in that Wisconsin-Penn State game is neither team was getting, you know, big shots down the field. They were both just kind of methodically driving down. And when you have those methodical drives and you're not getting any big plays, it's hard to score a lot of points unless you're just absolutely dominating a team, which I don't think Penn State will just absolutely dominate this defense. So I expect that – I don't expect them to score very many points. I would expect under, mm, I don't know, 24, under 21, 24. Um, they'll probably get their points, you know. There, there may be a, a busting coverage um, with a quicker receiver. Or, I mean, even on the first uh, play of the Alabama State game, I mean, there was a bust in the coverage, and the guy just dropped it. Um, that's probably not going to happen against Penn State. Uh, defense looked a little bit unorganized. I just don't know that – I think it's like Jason said on the podcast last week. Those guys were not coming out there with the same mentality, locked and loaded. Um, that they're going to next week. So I, I don't, I'm not worried about them getting aligned defensively. But, yeah, I would expect it to just be a thing of saying we expect that we'll make less mistakes than y'all because we're more disciplined. Um, and if you watch Alabama, that's kind of how they play, have played defense for several years now, is saying we're the more disciplined football team. We're going to make every tackle. You can have these five yards because on the next play, 
you're going to try and run the ball and you're going to get maybe one. And then you have to complete a third and five pass. And then that's when you hunker down and try and stop it. Um, so, no, I don't think that uh, – I don't think that the defense is going to give up a lot. I, I definitely think – I think this will be similar to the Wisconsin game, honestly, that Penn yeah. State played very low scoring. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Penn State-Wisconsin game, we go win at halftime, 0-0, final score 16-10. to That game was a game Wisconsin should have won. Like, And I think that even a Penn State fan would have told you that, that the reason that Penn State won that game was because they capitalized on Wisconsin's mistakes and they didn't make as many mistakes. They did that as an away team in a hostile environment. So Penn State is a team that has proven that they can win a game because of that, you know, and Auburn's got to be able to overcome that and not make mistakes. And that's really the thing. This team, they couldn't move the ball against Wisconsin. They couldn't. The reason that they were moving, the reason that they scored their points was because Wisconsin just kept blowing coverages and Dotson was a really, is a really good wide receiver. So he was getting yards, he was scoring, and Clifford was hitting them. That was the thing. Clifford can hit them when he's wide open. But the thing is, if you've got a guy on him and you're pressuring Clifford, he's not that good. I mean, he's just, he's just not. Like, He's not Trace McSorley. He's not going to just beat you. Like If we can shut down their run game and make Sean Clifford beat us, I am totally confident in our defense to shut down everything Penn State can do. And offensively, it's, you know, the opposite is true. We want Tank Bigsby to win this game. You know, we, we need, we're going to try and establish the run early. They're going to stack the box. Bo's going to have to make some throws just to kind of open up the pass game. But I would be shocked if we – tried to win this game on Bo Nix's arm, you know? I'd be surprised if he starts throwing the – I mean, if he threw the ball 30 times, I'd be worried. Like, just by looking at the makeup of the team, I'd be worried if Bo Nix is going to be throwing the ball a lot. And so, it's just kind of both teams are wanting to do the exact same thing. And I think that's when it's going to be an interesting just way to see. And it's just going to be more of a chess match than people think it'll be between the two – uh, defensive, like the defense against the offensive coordinator, all that. So, Weather, what is your, what is your, not necessarily like a score prediction, but what are you thinking when you, when we're, you're going to be sitting, when you're going to be in that seat in Beaver Stadium, what do you think will happen? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a tight game. I think the team with the least amount of turnovers will probably win the game. Uh, I think if Auburn's turning the ball over on their own side of the field, they're in trouble. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's going to be a tight, low scoring. I'm hoping it's a really clean game by both teams. Not, I mean, not like sportsmanship wise, but like, well, actually, I hope it's not clean on both sides. I hope that they're fumbling and keep getting penalties. But based off of what I've seen, they're probably not going to be fumbling a lot, giving up a lot of penalties. Um, and I think it's just going to be a good old-fashioned football game. I think that's why everybody's excited for it, because it's not going to be this new brand of just run, shootout football. It's going to be, you know, who's the tougher team, uh, who makes less mistakes, that's who's going to win the game. Uh, and I think on defense, Auburn has the advantage on the defensive line against Penn State's O-line, which has been a little bit of a question mark. Um, but conversely, I think that Penn State's defensive line has the advantage over Auburn's offensive line. So that's kind of the interesting thing, in my opinion, is that in the trenches, it like it's the opposite side. Like the offenses in the trenches are usually outmatched 
I think that the secondary for Auburn has the advantage over the secondary for Penn State. So, I mean, on paper, it's basically a pick em. I mean, that Vegas says seven points is typically what you give a team for a home field advantage. So they're saying, talent-wise, this is a pick em game, and we're giving seven points to Penn State because they're at home. Uh, which, I mean, in a pick em game, it, it all comes down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think that just simple as that, I think the team that plays a cleaner game of football is going to win the game. And so winning the turnover battle, uh, not getting too many penalty yards, that will be the defining factor in this game. Uh, but so that kind of wraps up the football talk. We got a little got a little carried away uh, going into that 2013 Auburn squad, but it's fine. Uh, just real quick, we're just going to go into a little bit of basketball talk uh, with, you know, everyone knows Alan Flanagan ruptured his Achilles. Uh, he had ser- successful surgery, looking at a 12 to 14 week timetable, get some coming back about in the middle of December, which is right after the holiday hoops giving game against Nebraska and Atlanta. So Wheeler, what are your thoughts about just kind of how we're going to replace, who do you think will replace Alan Flanagan in the traditional starting lineup and what are the most frequent uh, rotations do you think we'll see in Flanagan's absence? I think it's really tough to tell because I don't know if, I don't know what kind of basketball we're going to want to play this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, since Bruce has been here, we've had two separate kinds of uh, offenses that we've run. And I think that now that Allen is out, they're going to slow things down a little bit. I don't think they're going to try and run as wide open, and I think they're just going to pile in the big guys um, and play tough defense, play down in the post, and hope to keep games close till the end until Allen gets back for a SEC play. Because I think – I mean, SEC play starts December 29th, uh, and so I think you'll you'll see him back hopefully by SEC play. Um, I could see Wendell and Zepp both getting on the court in this situation uh, to try and give you some more shooters, uh, whereas before I didn't think that they would necessarily play together. Um, But other than that, I mean, I don't know. I think Devin Cambridge is going to probably get some more reps than he normally would have been getting. And I think the thing about it is that's not great if we're trying to be a top, 10 preseason team but to think that our our pre-sec play is all lost because allen's gone i mean we won a lot of games with guys like devin cambridge that are really solid sec basketball players that are not necessarily nba prospects so i don't think people need to get so concerned that that one of the nba prospects is gone when you've got you know you still got two more on the roster that are going to be playing that's a lot more than auburn's had in the past um, and done a lot more with. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, obviously, if you look at this team, you're like, obviously, you don't – if you had to pick – you know, obviously no one wants anyone to get hurt, but if you had to pick somebody, most people wouldn't pick Alan Flanagan, you know, just because of who he is. But with that being said, I think that if you look at it positionally, a lot of people would pick the small forward to be the guy that we're losing. Because Bruce has never really used the small forward that much. The small forward is always, I mean, you know, just looking back past couple of years, I mean, you had Malik Dunbar, who was just a role, I mean, he was a role player. He played his role correctly. 
he was never the star. You look at Isaac Okoro. I mean, he was a top five NBA draft pick, wasn't the leading scorer, and was never really – he wasn't the go-to guy on that team offensively. It was Samir Doughty. And so I think that it's – you look at that, and then you've got a guy like Devin Cambridge and then a guy like Chris Moore are kind of the two guys that are vying most for position. If they can not turn the ball over, they can do what they're supposed to and play good defense, I think we'll be okay before we get into conference play because of how – just how the composition of the team will go. Uh, and another another thing that I thought was inter- uh, an interesting thing thought that I had was if we move Jabari Smith to the three and put Jalen Williams at the four in certain uh, situations. So you could have like Wendell Green at point guard, Katie Johnson at shooting guard, you know, just kind of to say stretch the floor. You'd have Jabari Smith to kind of be the small forward, roam the inside, and you'd have Jalen and Walker as kind of the four and the five. And I think that that would be – if Jabari can do that, I think that that's the best lineup that we have. You know, if Jabari can be kind of kind of like that, that Kevin Durant, that Larry Bird comparison that you've seen some people give him, if he can translate that into college and with that mid-range and three-point shooting ability, I think that Jalen Williams is the best bench player we have. And so I think that it – that that lineup is having your five best guys on the floor at the same time. So I think that if Jabari can kind of go into that role and be as productive as he would have been at the four, his natural position, then I think that we should do that personally. I agree. I think it's all going to be dependent on how flexible he is in his position and how much Bruce, how much does Bruce want him to, practice at a position that's not his position when you know you're getting Allen back you know he's not gone for the whole season so do you want to shift your lineup so much that you've got key starting players playing half of their season in a different position that are freshmen that they may not be quite as effective in the back half of the season because you know that the committee is going to look at if you're a bubble team which I don't I mean this team shouldn't be a bubble team but I mean the committee seating wise at least is going to see hey you know, their all-SEC player was out for the first half of the season, so we're not going to weigh that as heavily as what are they doing now that they yeah. have their full strength. So, yeah. Exactly. I, I think it all depends on how comfortable he is playing the four and how much it affects your team for the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you look at a game like, you know, if, if it comes to this, which I agree, I agree with you, I don't think it will – but if you look at a game, like if we drop the UConn game, the Nebraska game, and the UCF game, you look at those three games where it's like, okay, you're going to be looking at that one in March, and you're like, well, they needed to win those games. Those were games against other bubble teams that they needed to win. But it's like, okay, well, if you're not at full strength, you'll definitely give Auburn more of a nod than you would have if they just played like crap. So yeah. definitely agree with that. Uh, and, you know, basketball is just kind of kind of sneaking up. I think that the hype around the basketball team will either stay somewhat low-key if we win this game against Penn State. If we lose this against Penn State, I think everyone's going to be all in on basketball very early, similar to how they were last year. So hopefully Auburn will win that game day environment in Penn State, if nothing else, just to keep the basketball team kind of under the radar just a little bit longer. But yeah, That kind of wraps up this week's podcast. We're going to come back next week and be able to break down all that happened at Penn State uh, and preview a little bit of Georgia State, which we probably won't talk about. It'll probably just be a Penn State podcast. 
Uh, might like to have another guest come on next week. We'll see how uh, how everything works out. But that kind of wraps it up. Uh, as always, we're very, very happy to answer any questions about any DMs that y'all have. Uh, the support on the uh, most recent podcast with Jason Campbell was amazing. Uh, again, if you haven't listened to that, be sure to do that. Definitely one of our better pods. Uh, and so just excited about how this week three matchup is going to go. Yeah. War Eagle. War Eagle.